Welcome to To Be Continued, a Stonecroft Symposium podcast. In today's episode, Anna Shaw Hawk discusses DJing, queer spaces, and community engagement with Mickey Bradshaw and Haida Musa. everyone, this podcast series is an extension of To Be Continued, Troubling the Queer Archive, an art exhibit which is taking place this fall at the Carleton University Art Gallery. The show and today's conversation both take place on unceded, unsurrendered Algonquin territory and are an extension of a sustained commitment to amplify, honor, and celebrate the realities of queer, trans, indigenous, black, and people of color. My name is Anna Shahawk, and I, along with Kara Tierney, are the co-curators of TBC. So it's been an ongoing process to think about the ways that universities and galleries and our work within them are either complicit in sustaining the existing sort of power structures, but also simultaneously are spaces that are deployed to sort of like creatively and critically disarticulate them. So as such, this show and this podcast is specifically designed along with the exhibit to think through what intervening or interrupting these processes can look like. We're fortunate, and we have been fortunate, to speak with individuals who labor endlessly to decenter this hegemonic idea of a solo story. So with that said, we're fortunate to have with us today Mickey Bradshaw and Kaida Musa, two people who are involved in exciting community and scene making and have been doing this work for 20 plus years in community development, some of which has been spent, you know, sort of building on in our local context. So welcome, Kaida and Mickey. I'm so excited to have this conversation with the two of you. Excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. I was hoping that we could take an opportunity for each of you to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are, how you came to be in Ottawa, and if you wouldn't mind, Mickey, do you want to start? Sure. My name is Mickey Bradshaw, also known as Wikipedia. Um, I've gone by Wikipedia for a number of years now. It's my official artist name, but I came to Ottawa originally on a teaching gig, actually. I was teaching voice and drama because I went to Concordia University and I had my own theater company for um, over uh, over 10 years. So um, I had received a position with a, a private company uh, in Ottawa and I moved here and they had hired a bunch of teachers and didn't tell the teachers that it was actually hanging on whether or not they got funding or not. They didn't end up getting the funding and I stayed in Ottawa um, to see what I can do here actually so that was wow that was like whoo that was 1997 98 98 yeah i'm dating myself 1997 was just yesterday yeah so uh that's uh that's how i came to ottawa okay Yeah, I actually moved to Ottawa with my family. I was three and a half years old. Um, We moved from Lebanon, where I'm from. And uh, after about a year of living with uh, my grandparents and my family in this tiny two-bedroom apartment with like six people in it, we ended up moving to Elmer, Quebec, which is right across the bridge from Ottawa, about a 15-minute drive from downtown. And so I did uh, my elementary and high school schooling there. And only at about the age of 17 did I start spending more time here. Um, and then I really integrated the 
queer uh, scene around maybe 2009, actually. So, um, yeah, we'll talk more about that. But I basically entered that scene through Agitate. Okay. Okay. It's really funny that you mentioned Agitate because Agitate is one of the groups that I was part of, and it was one of the first and only um, groups uh, for people of color that uh, was around for for a while in Ottawa because we saw that there was no representation, that we weren't having um, our own sort of like space, um, and it was really, really hard. So yeah, a bunch of friends, we got together and said, let's do something. There's, yeah, yeah, man, that feels like yesterday now. <laughs> I mean I think yeah. that's a really good entry point so agitate is something that like both of you uh was this a point where you cross paths like how long has this sort of relationship um like Ottawa is such a small small scene so like mm-hmm. do you recall like when you came across each other's way because agitate seems to be a doorway there yeah um, definitely. yeah it is somewhat I mean, um, we knew common people there because there were still um, one or two core people. I had left Agitate by that point. Um, there were still mm-hmm. one or two core people who had actually founded the group that were left, I think, mm-hmm. when you when you joined. Um, is that true, Rada? Yeah, so I was kind of part of the second cohort, if you will. Um, at the time that I started hanging out with people like Nadija Robinson mm-hmm. and Shoshana Raya, um, I actually met a lot of these people at the going away party uh, for one of the core members of Agitate. So one thing to know about queer and trans uh, racialized communities in Ottawa is that like every X number of years, there's kind of a mass migration that happens outside of Ottawa, people leaving to Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver. And so I was kind of part of the second cohort Um after a lot of those people had had left mm-hmm. that seems to be a thing like uh in terms of even like who your queer elders end up being when you come newly into the city mm-hmm. um for both of you i mean uh so mickey you you came in uh in like the late 90s Raida, you had a tangential re- like relationship with ottawa can each of you sort of expand a little bit more about what breaking into the ottawa queer scene felt like um, and like, what were some of the resources that, um, that were there for you? Wow. Um, <laughs> breaking into the, the Ottawa queer scene for me, it was, um, wow. Uh, it was exceptionally white. Mm. Um, there weren't a lot of resources per se for people of color specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, there weren't a lot of resources in a lot of ways for even just the general population at large of the queer community. Carlton did a pretty good job um, uh, as far as, well, I say that I'm probably biased because I was <laughs> one of the co-coordinators uh, um, there. Actually, I was the co-coordinator of 98, so it was 98. Um, so 98 uh, and 99, I was uh, the co-coordinator there. Um, and uh, they had... I don't know if they still have it, but they had a full library uh, for not just uh, use of the students at Carleton, but for the entire community. You could go and borrow books there and, and uh, volunteer there. And um, 
and uh, they were being supported at the time by the actual administration, the undergraduate administration, and actually having a budget. Um, mm -hmm. So it was good in that sense, um, but not every school was that great. I mean, Ottawa U was okay, and Algonquin was very, very... It's to this day, actually, it's 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 always been hard. It seems for um, a, an LGBTQ plus mm -hmm. community to uh, to be all right at Algonquin College. It, it it's always felt like that. So I, I'm I'm hoping that things are different now. But yeah, Mickey, what uh, organization like at Carleton? What student group was this that you were co coordinator of? Oh, it was the at the time it was uh, the LGBT. Um, center. It's okay. changed names various times, but yeah, it was, okay, uh, okay. yeah. Hedda, what about you? Like what, what was uh, coming into the Ottawa scene as a teenager versus when you were like much younger? What did that look like? What did that feel like for you? Yeah. So we're talking about 2003. I had just turned 17 and like any other small town kid, I kind of you know, escaped to what was the closest bigger city, which was Ottawa. Really, it's kind of funny because Elmer is really not that far, but I would take the bus from Elmer and it would take me 45 minutes to get downtown, right? So um, at that age, same thing. It was very white. Uh, I was the youngest among anyone else I was uh, hanging out around. These were like, you know, white queers in their mid-20s um, and I think that it kind of forced a coming out story in my life that was very much a mimicking of what I saw among other like white queers right and so it was uh, looking back on it now I kind of wish that I had other queer and trans people of color in my life to kind of have more nuanced and complex conversations around what it meant to be racialized and, and queer and like ties to family and that kind of thing. Um, I did stick around in that scene and like being a teenager basically was more involved in the party scene around, um, you know, my, my late teens and early 20s uh, and like went to places like Icon where I was surrounded by people who are older than me. So I still got in, you know, um, and it was yeah. kind of like introduced <laughs> to that scene through uh, just tagging along older white queer spaces. Um, and then in 2009, like I feel is more of a, uh, it was like my second introduction to the Ottawa, like, queer and trans scene and I say it's through agitate but really it's through the people that mm -hmm. formed agitate right like I became really close friends first uh with Nadija Robinson who we were in a you know class together and then we saw each other again at a party and at the time like it was still very much white spaces, but because we had this like tiny group, anytime we saw anyone mm -hmm. uh, who was like black, indigenous, or a person of color at any party, we would literally like physically surround them. Yeah, yeah. And like recruit them into <laughs> our group. And so things have very much changed in Ottawa uh, in that sense, I think. Like the just the amount of youth and even like 
just in general, the amount of racialized people in queer and trans spaces has like definitely increased. Yeah. But that gives you an idea of how how few people there were. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, especially if people were leaving too, right? Like exactly, there would be like, like you said, like kind of um, like a flip over uh, of new faces and new people. And so, at the time, I was new, and then there were other new people after me. And we kind of just tried and like to stick together as much as possible, and found I think a lot of comfort and healing in that. And that's actually probably how I'm trying to think when the first time Mickey and I met and it's probably through those groups of friends. Cause at the time, well, yeah, it Mickey was through was Khadija too. Right. Yeah. It was, it was through Khadija for sure. You mean Nadija? Oh, did I say Khadija? Yeah. Oh, yeah. so sorry. Yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was through, it was through Nadija. Absolutely. It was in Nadija's apartment that we met. Okay. It's really funny though, actually, because I was, part of that wave that left before mm-hmm. you joined Agitate and the year you joined Agitate is also the year that I came back again. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So what were some of the Agitate events? Like where did they take place in the city? Uh and how mm. did like people find out? I mean, I'm guessing from the ways that both of you are talking about this was strictly like word of mouth. If your friends knew and you knew someone, that was your gateway into this world. Yeah, um, I can't really. I know before I joined Agitate, I once went to this to this party that was um, off of uh, Nicholas, I guess, uh, kind of where Ritual is now, like in that block. Right. Um, and I don't know who organized that, but in the time that I was there, there was this East African restaurant that was on oh, Rito. Yeah. yeah, it was on Rito. I think probably past Shawarma Prince. And so they would let us have parties there. It it was, yeah, it was a little- Parties and shows, it was great. Mm -hmm. And shows. And then Shanghai obviously has always been a place that people have been able to book and like not have it be so expensive that groups like us couldn't throw parties there and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's something that we've definitely um, come across in all, a lot of our conversations is just how significant a role Shanghai has played in in terms of like offering space for like young um, and racialized creatives to also have like a venue to go celebrate. Um, yeah. yeah. And Club Saw, I guess she's probably also get oh, a mention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. That's a definite. Yeah, uh, that's it, actually the first place that Mickey and I DJed together was at Club. That is, that is. Yeah. How did that come about? How did DJing become part of, uh, like, what attracted you to it, or what brought that sphere of the world to your to your notice? Um, there was a show that had, well, I, I had been doing lighting and sound for a very long time because it's just something I grew up with. Because I grew up in theater, and I grew up in film, and I grew up doing radio, and all these different things. So I just know how to do lighting and sound and um at one point somebody was doing a burlesque show and needed a dj and needed also a sound person i said i can do both um so i started doing these these sort of like events and then eventually shelly was it Shelly or was it Shu? One of them it's... came up to it was someone out of VE, someone out of <laughs> Venus MV came and uh, and asked and asked asked you actually. 
Well, it's funny to hear you tell the story because like, you know, we all have our memories of how things happened. The way that I remember it is that the first, first show that we did, um, there was a group out of Oprk. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Ottawa New Oprk that was run yeah. by Quinn uh, Cobalt. Um, and Quinn and that group were throwing a party to launch what was then called like Queer Faction. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was it Queer Faction? That, was that the first one? That was the, and in my memory at least, that was the first one. There was this launch party for Queer Faction, which was basically just a group of queer and trans people who wanted to do like more uh, like political, like activisty type of um, uh, things together. And so we marched, for instance, uh, in solidarity with Palestine doing one of the Pride events that year. It kind of fell through pretty quickly. Um, but that launch party, in my memory, was the first time that we DJed together and it was at Club Saw. And so Quinn had asked if anyone knew a DJ. And I was like, I've always wanted to DJ. So I reached out to Quinn and I was like, I'll do it. And I had no idea what I was doing. And then at the time, I think that Mickey and I had maybe already started our rate radio show at CHUO and I was like Mickey probably knows what he would be doing so I like had asked Mickey that we could do it together because our name was the underwear crew I don't know if you're yeah but yeah so we must have already started the radio show by then yeah yeah no we definitely had the radio show by the time we started DJing like as a crew yeah tell me more about your radio show oh the under what? Under who? Underwear show. I forgot about that actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was kind of that was your brainchild actually. Was it? I think so because you came to me and you're like, "Yo, do you want to do a radio show? We could do it on community radio." And I was like, "That's a." possibility that sounds cool yeah okay what do you want to do it on well we could do it on music and just queer stuff and it's like yeah let's do it <laughs> i'm always amazed at what like 20 year old me has done <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah um so yeah we basically uh like covered a lot of uh, local and Canadian-based music um, and, like, music by queer and trans folks. And also, we did a lot of interviews with yeah. people. We covered some events that were happening in the yep. city. Um, we had, like, really awesome guests. Yeah, uh, we did. We did. It was in the basement at Ottawa U. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I they're still running my PSAs. <laughs> <laughs> Right. They'd make us record PSAs. Um, and Mickey was like uh, yeah, like taking care of uh, a friend's kid at the time. So we'd have this like toddler with us in the booth. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. and, and that child was brilliant on air, I must say. Yeah. I must say, yes. Much respect to little A. Like. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> So that uh, yeah, it was fun, and then uh, and then we got a little busy, and we took on two other people onto the show, um, closer to the end of it. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, they took over the show for a few years, actually, after we left. Yeah. So yeah. So the that that was it was it was a fun <laughs> ride though. It was definitely a fun ride. Learning mm-hmm. to DJ was fun because I remember asking <laughs> asking you, and it's so funny. Please excuse me because I'll, I, it's it's a matter of it's so rare that I have actually used your your full name. Yeah, you're doing good. <laughs> so I pause every once in a while because something else wants to come out, and I'm like, nope, mm-hmm. no, sorry. So like, but it's a matter of you. I remember saying to you, "Do you know what BPMs are?" Uh, <laughs> no, what <laughs> beats per minute? Okay. So do you know what you need to do with the beats per minute? No. Okay. So that's where we're starting. All right, DJ. All right. Yeah, and from there. Yeah, you you took that a very long way. Yeah, I've been DJing for I don't know when we started, probably 2009, 2010, so it's been like about 10 years. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember, but like I was like beyond green about this. Like I had Excel yeah. spreadsheets. I know. And, yeah. Like no one in the world has ever DJed with Excel spreadsheets, right? Like <laughs> And well, I did for okay. a really long time. Like I just, yeah, I remember uh, later on, like after we stopped DJing together, I'd get invited to do a bunch of stuff. And once I was DJing at Raw Sugar on Somerset for a Beats and Boards event. Yeah. And at this time, like it, I had been DJing for years, but I was still using this like super slow computer because yeah. I couldn't buy a new one. And I was still using um, that software uh, DJ Zulu or like something like that and <laughs> the, the the other guy that was DJing and like I mean DJing in Ottawa is like very I mean probably everywhere is very like white cis dude like dominated yeah. and it wasn't the first time people would laugh at me and be like I've never seen anyone DJ in public with this software and this ex- like Excel spreadsheet yeah <laughs> Yeah, but it worked. That was the thing. And for someone who's super green, then yeah, it works. It's Mm -hmm. like, but you took that and then eventually you got into not using it and you were able to use like, you know, actual decks and Mm -hmm. like, like, that's just it. You have like a solid basis of knowing what a BPM is and how to be able to transition that properly that that any DJ who says anything about that, it's gonna be like, yo, you can flub up, but this one, I know that you, you, you will, you will get it dead on. Like so, there you go. Ben has broken it down to like mathematic preciseness, right? Um, well, yeah. Sorry, it's just it's interesting because I never took courses around DJing. Uh, it's and for me, it was always about the vibe. It was always about the people, and it was always about the music and mm-hmm. my skills. Even till now, like I don't necessarily have skills quote unquote you know it's just something like i i just enjoy the energy that i get from those parties and so far no one's complained so you know what i mean um and so a lot of people i think face a lot of barriers in in doing this type of thing because they don't know how and literally you could just play good music and get away with it and i i think i'm a testimony to that (laughs) what was your dj handle or what's your current dj handle it's always been DJ Yalla Yalla. Oh, yeah. 
All right. <laughs> I remember coming up with it and I like to paper. <laughs> I took a piece of paper and I was like, okay, what's important to me? And I had yeah. like this little list of like words that I used often, like things that were important to me. And that's yeah. that's how it came about. Yeah. So you were mentioning like, you know, I mean, the Ottawa landscape has shifted, but not by a whole heck of a lot in terms of like who gets access into like DJing gigs for a lot of like clubs and spaces. Mm -hmm. So when yeah. you're first starting out, how did like how did you broker those relationships? Like what businesses or what spaces supported your growth as a DJ? Mm -hmm. I would say Venus Envy. Yeah. I can't say anything else but Venus Envy. Mm -hmm. The whole like it it literally any I would say probably good 95% of the gigs that we got mm -hmm. were because of Venus Envy. If it wasn't directly because of Venus Envy, then it was because of somebody knowing someone in Venus Envy. Or yeah. someone seeing us at a Venus Envy at, party yeah. or whatever, right. yeah. Also, like, I remember when I started my monthly party, Modiggity, mm -hmm. I actually went to Venus Envy and... <laughs> Uh, went to the back room at the old location with Shelly Taylor, the mm -hmm. owner at the time, and was like, Shelly, I want to do this thing. Do you think it's a good idea? And like in true Shelly Taylor fashion, she was like, absolutely. How can I support you? And that was huge yeah. for me. And that party really took off. Like, um, yeah, it was a really big deal at the time for someone who was, you know, a bit older than me and who like had resources, but also just believed that it could work. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How does that like, so in terms of access to DJing, right? Like uh, mm -hmm. DJing equipment is expensive. Um, uh, and like just even spaces um, that like cater to predominantly racialized communities in this city. What did, what did that look like? How did you, did you have to create those spaces for yourself as you started DJing or was a lot of it just so VE centric that, um, that it helped sort of pave the pathway for other relationships to come into being? Personally, I feel like it was so VE centric that it paved the path. Right. Um, I also know though that having worked at VE when it even started in Ottawa, I, I, I know what the landscape was like. And I know that because of VE, it's helped that, mm -hmm. that, that business has helped to change the landscape. That's, that's uh, definite. So, um, yeah, but I feel like it was very VE centric. Yeah. Yeah. I think Venus and opened a lot of doors. Um, and like I said, like just having, uh, you know, a space for one or even just like the support from there was huge when we were starting out. When I started Mo Diggity, um, I still felt like the only places that you could go dance, because like Venus Envy wasn't throwing parties every month, right? Like yeah. they maybe had one or two a year. They had certain sort for a while. That was pretty huge. Um, I think they were possibly behind the hard on burlesque show, those right. kinds of things. But it like, I mean, no. That, right? was, like, that was my group of friends in Agitate. Oh, okay. That was the original right. Agitate that was uh, behind Hard on Balesque. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, they're a store. I mean, it's often treated like a community center because it's it's so core to the queer and trans, uh, the S&M scene, et cetera, in mm -hmm. Ottawa. But it's still, you know, that's not the main thing they do. 
Um, so when I started Modiggity, I still felt like there were no spaces you could go that centered, you know, QT BIPOC. There just yeah. wasn't. And it was either white DJs playing black music in a very fast way, mm -hmm. or it was like very gay, cis, male centric, right. like The Edge, for instance. Right. Um, and so Modiggity was kind of born during, I was driving alone from Toronto to Ottawa uh like right before I started and when I arrived to Ottawa I was like okay I'm doing this um and so for that a lot of uh places were actually key like fall down gallery which like RIP is is not there anymore but fall down gallery was like the skate shop slash gallery um uh run by um like Pac in indigenous Mm -hmm. Like guys, uh, Tarek and Robbie mm -hmm. uh, were behind that and they would let us rent their space and uh, were super accommodating around like, you know, how much we had to sell out because that's a huge barrier is how much you have to sell the bar, right? right. Or what the rental fee is or if you have yeah. to bring your own equipment and yeah. like all those things. So I would say if, since you're asking like Fall Down Gallery, mm -hmm. uh, Raw Sugar, um, and, uh, I actually, the first Modiggity was at this small bar called Avant-Garde. It's oh, like, yeah. it's a ritual. It's oh, like okay. this kind of like Russian propaganda bar. <laughs> yeah. It's like super tiny, but they were just, it was easy to throw parties there because it was like small. And one of the main things that I wanted with Modiggity and that I tried to keep with any other party that I organized was keep it small because then you can know who comes in and out. Right. And that was super important to me in like both creating a vibe and keeping people safe. Mm -hmm. So we would fog up, we could, we would like fog up the whole front window. Um, and it was very packed in there, but we kept it small, you know? Yeah. As far as the equipment, um, I think, yeah, DJ equipment can be very expensive, but I think what we've been trying to point out is yeah. we both had slow computers. We both <laughs> didn't really have the money for like, you know, a professional DJ platform yeah. and uh, like, but we still did it because yeah. it's, it's about that. Like you may need to um, organize yourselves. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like what's happening currently in Ottawa, like the first trans fest, mm -hmm. um, is going on and you, you see a need and you and for for the space and you create the space and it's not about the resources that you have because it's surprising when you actually believe in in a certain vision it's it's very surprising about what will happen and what transpires and who believes in you as well and who's willing to come along um on that ride mm -hmm. with you so it's not necessarily about the equipment people can yeah. laugh but you're still gonna throw down some dope beats yeah. so <laughs> like show up for it yeah yeah um you both have made mention of like the role that agitate has played in sort of ushering you but also allowing you to build on a legacy that's there um the auto landscape has continuously shifted has does agitate exist in the same ways or are there other sort of organizations and moments that are there now um that are doing the work that they did for you back in the past Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there. It's been really cool because I was gone to Toronto for about four and a half years, and then mm -hmm. came back about 
three and a half, four years ago. So during that time, I was really surprised as to how much Ottawa's changed. I know it doesn't seem like it, but having been there before and then like, I think the first week I was back from Toronto, I went to a concert at Prest and it was like 90% like QT BIPOC and I was like what is going on like yeah yeah this isn't a QT like a QT BIPOC specific event and it's 90% QT BIPOC and that was mind-blowing for me I had never experienced anything like that in Ottawa Um, and I think a, a big part of how that happens like one, I, I guess the population just increased mm-hmm. or there are more queer and trans people. I'm not yeah. sure. But Babely Shades was huge. Or maybe, you know, possibly it's that Toronto got so expensive and yeah, maybe people are, are turning to here or moving here. But Babely Shades and then what's the name of that party that happens at Happy Goat? Um, the like uh, performance the spice um... spice also um, and then I want to admit that I probably don't know about a million other ones that do happen that I like maybe have aged out of uh, or that kind of thing do you want to tell us a little bit about what Baby Shades is from what I understand Baby Shades it was like a a group of QT BIPOC that were um putting on and like hosting a bunch of music centered events. So they were okay. bringing in artists from like, uh, well, like across the country or maybe abroad. And we're like creating these spaces where those artists and musicians were able to perform in Ottawa and like have the funding to bring them here. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that they might not have otherwise. So yeah. I think they played a huge role in like shaping uh, the shift in the music scene in Ottawa and just those spaces existing in the first place. Yeah, but and then again, that also speaks though to um, the whole the whole turnover that there is in Ottawa because the organizers of Baby Shades moved to Montreal. I don't know if they're still here though. Um, I don't know if they've moved back or if they're still here. But yeah, it, and that happens. It's a matter of like people's they come in they see the need for for a voice a space a perspective um a feeling um and and create these spaces and 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 put in the time and the effort and the energy and then um leave leave because it it feels as though oftentimes having lived in ottawa off and on for like over 20 years mm-hmm. it it's like every time i leave i'm like i'm never coming back <laughs> <laughs> i'm not going back i'm not going back but then after a while i'm like you know there's c- certain things about ottawa that i that i missed and it's and so my cool. chosen yeah and my chosen family is there yeah, yeah. um so it's a matter of uh, I will always come back. I, I can't avoid that. And mm-hmm. and the thing about it is when I do come back, it's always interesting to see the shifts and where they've occurred because just walking in Ottawa now is a different vibe. Yeah. Very, very different vibe than it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I think the the heart of Ottawa really is the people in it. And Mm -hmm. that's what makes me call it home and that made me want to come back after uh, being in Toronto and that kind of thing. But I will say that this... 
these like insular bubbles that we create in order to have community and be safe, like mm-hmm. these are necessary. They're created out of necessity. And yes. because anything outside of that can feel so tiring in Ottawa. Yeah. And I I know that even though things have changed to, in my eye, the, the people who are younger than me doing those same things are also tired. And so like a lot of the quote unquote activism that we did was like, take care of each other. Um, And that's definitely a trend of what it means to, to live here. And, you know, through hard winters where Mm -hmm. you're just really just cooking and talking through the terrible thing that happened. And, um, but that being said, I've always loved what, Mickey pointed out is that it is a city where if you want something to happen, then there is space for you to do that because there aren't 50 other events that are the same thing that right. like you would find in other big cities. I think there is always like a, because of maybe the, the turnover rates and just the migration of people in and out, there's also like a, a deep hunger that like um, is there. So when events pop up that are actually addressing the needs mm-hmm. of a lot of communities that aren't always readily like available on, on like a, a constant, um, it's it, it's it's coming out of there's such a warm reception to that event coming into being. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. People um, show up. Yeah, yeah. People show up. And yeah, they do. Very excitedly. Right. Um both of your DJing experiences, I mean, you know, from the sounds of it, there was a lot of like learning together and then sort of moments of being mentored, but also being supported. How does that look like for you as youth mentors as you are now? Like, how does those past experiences influence your current individual activities? Um, wow. Uh, well, as a youth mentor currently, I see, I have... For me, it's different because when I was coming up, 25, and you're no longer a youth. Like my, <laughs> when I had a theater company, I started it at the age of uh, 15, and it was for youth by youth. Oh wow! And at 25, I found, um, I, like, I mentored someone else to take over the company because I was like, I'm no longer a youth, and by the government standards at that point in time, I was no longer a youth. Right. So it's strange and funny to me because I guess technically under new standards yeah I guess I'm mentoring youth but it's really just a matter of I'm not trying to mentor but more along the lines of just take care of my community because right I and I guess it is mentoring in, in a sense because when when I get I try to give so mm-hmm. what I've learned I try to pass on so but you know everybody has their own experiences and gets wherever they need to go in their own time in their own way. So it's, uh, it's, it's just been something that I know. Kaida, you obviously still remember, and I obviously still remember. So to be able to give that gift to somebody else, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like there's a legacy archive at play, right? There's a living, uh, like act of sharing that like is both, so um, embedded in care and love, but also when you're coming into the scene relatively like um, unaware of, of what support networks are there, they like the framing of a youth mentor comes mm-hmm. into um, like a, a real asset. Um, and I think when a lot of folks are moving in and out, like Mickey, you've 
been involved in the Ottawa scene and then you've you're currently now based in Montreal and so those relationships uh are the the value that you have in your experience that in itself is like it's it's a it's an incredible um asset to to share right um uh so I'm just wondering like what is what are you what are each of you up to now like what does your practice look like Raida you mentioned you're DJing actively what is what does that look like for you now I mean amidst all the COVID constraints um yeah I'm actually not DJing that actively right now um I still do parties once in a while I I did feel like when I came back to Ottawa, I'm still trying to figure out like what my place is in the city in a big way. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because also a lot of my people moved away, right? So there's this readjustment of like finding out like where do I land here? um, And what role do I play? uh, Who's interested in what I have to offer who can offer me things right so there's this kind of like readjustment period that can sometimes um take take a while in ottawa because things happen very slow here they happen in bursts (laughs) Um, they happen with a sense of urgency that immediately Mm -hmm. dies down after there's uh like things aren't always super sustainable because like people get a burst of energy and do something and then it it isn't necessarily like continued right um yeah and so i'm still trying to kind of figure out where i fit in this new landscape that i've rejoined and Mm -hmm. for a part of my life uh i think helped shape in a small way Um, And I wanted to mention about your previous question, like, I think that I'm a testimony to the fact that, like, what Mickey knew did get passed to someone else, right? Like, Mickey was a huge mentor for me. That means a lot. Like, honest to God, I wasn't trying to be, but I was just trying to be a friend. But I'm like, that means a lot, yo. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because this migration part that we're talking about often means that like a lot of knowledge gets lost, which I'm not too concerned about like what I know or what I did being lost. What I'm concerned about is like people who are younger than us, like us feeling kind of lonely and like nothing, like they have to create everything from scratch and that like they don't get to see that whatever they do is a a continuity of Mm -hmm. rather than like, you know, them having to, to dig a space for themselves. And so that's more my concern. And right now I think a lot of my work has shifted um, towards being an educator uh, and like having the opportunity to, to, to do that in other spaces like universities or colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I think part of me, like, it's weird when you're queer or trans, like somehow you become some weird men, uh, no, sorry, elder at like yeah. 35. <laughs> and you're like, I need an elder, <laughs> you know, like there's something yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I think around my age, I don't know if Mickey feels this way because uh, he's a bit older than me, but I, I also don't know that people really care to reach out 
to me or don't really like see me still close to their age, but kind of older. So right. it's, I don't know. It's weird. Hmm. I, well, for me personally, it's, it, it is weird because I have never, I've never really looked my age. I've either, I've either looked older <laughs> than I am or I've looked younger than I am. And currently people have been calling me Benjamin Button for the last <laughs> few years. Um, Cause yeah, I I hit forty seven this year, and uh, I I am. It's rather hard actually. <laughs> um, body's feeling, my mind is not. But mm-hmm. the, it's it's a matter of uh, I think I don't know. I agree with a lot that Raida said, but I it's it's how do I, I I'm trying to express it. And I'm not finding the words really i do feel that you know a lot of the youth uh, i i feel bad in the fact that they a lot of them do feel like uh i see that they feel like they have to do it and no one's ever done it before mm-hmm. i'd like having the example there for them to see and yeah with with those sorts of migrations that come and go from ottawa that doesn't always transpire mm-hmm. but the wonderful thing, though, is that we do have the internet, and by doing things like what you're doing right now, Anna, and mm-hmm. and just having this interview, it allows for um a method and and a line for you know youth to be able to listen and hear something that they didn't realize, and so they realize I'm not alone, and yeah, I can do a lot of different things, and there are ways and avenues. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, hmm. It's it's very up in the air for me because I I like I said when I get I give and currently I'm just trying to uh, give back in a sense of not in official capacities per se. I mean like I've I've helped to start a record company here. I helped to start a music collective and a media collective here in Montreal. And currently I'm gonna be podcasting. Um, on uh, one of one of the things I really want to do is uh, the podcast. One of the podcasts I'm going to be doing, um, which is going to be called um, Alignment Station, um, is um, about spirituality, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily religion. We will touch on some things with religion because within religion there is spirituality. But um, so spirituality, uh, the uh, artistic communities, and the uh, and the QT BIPOC community because um, it's not something I feel gets spoken about a lot, but it is something that is prevalent everywhere. So in that, you know, I, 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 I'm hoping that the things that I continue to do are just things that um, cause the youth that are behind me to at least stop and, and think. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I think like what going back to what Haida was saying about, you know, um, the, and like what Mickey, you, you were also uh, sort of nodding to this idea of like reinventing the wheel, like um, in terms of like, I by like by no means was a youth when I was wanting to come more into the Ottawa queer scene. And like, I didn't have legacy archives to tap into. So it was very much relying on like people that I knew or like, uh, organ like events that I could go attend. So in that sense, I find like Ottawa because of both like the suburban and like sort of center town divide and like what happens in these little clusters. Um, it is a bit more difficult to find out where these spaces are so readily. Like they're not readily 
available for many reasons, including safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other part of it is like that to, we're not mourning necessarily that the there is a migration of people in and out constantly, but what happens when the stories aren't necessarily easily there for us to find, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it becomes both an independent journey of like DIYing your own adventure of uh, your own queer adventure in the city. Um, But also so important to think about like, what does queer eldership even look like? Right. Like, so not necessarily relying on, on a numerical figure, but like the amount of labor and love that a lot of folks put into the community that make it possible to have moments and spaces where we see and like uh, reflections of each other, you know, and that like ground us and, that's where I think the both the language and an idea of mentorship and elders come into play because like as an adult looking for queer mentorship, like that was something that I was like, where and how do I do this when yeah. I'm this person, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, I think that happens anywhere. Ottawa, mm-hmm. of course it's happening, but I think it happens anywhere. Like even coming to Montreal, yeah. you'd be surprised at, like two years ago I came and it was 45 and mm-hmm. at 45 there were people who were like oh you gotta meet this guy he's 45 and he's a trans black dude mm-hmm. like the fact that that is something in their vicinity was right. like shock right yeah. you know like yeah. and that's a major city yeah 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 larger yeah. so like that's that like eh. It's a matter of you. You just have to continue to mm-hmm. to share your truth and uh, to actually like uh, be visible. I think visibility is 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 a main component here. Right. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um. There, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no. I was just gonna say like I was just gonna reiterate. Yeah, there needs to be definite visibility because I feel like w- without visibility, that's where the frustration, the lack of hope comes from. Mm-hmm. And without hope, then 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 you know the death of an idea is easy to to be put under yeah for sure you know between the two of you and all of like the amazing experiences that you've both fostered and and like have shared with us looking back like what were some things that you wish you had access to that like and that you hope that will like be something that you can generate for both like the now and the future like what were some tools that you were like oh i damn i wish i had those and at the present and the tomorrow what could that look like what did what does it need to look like i definitely needed just kitty bipop kitty bipoc around me like i um didn't have that and i don't know that i knew at that age what that would mean but mm-hmm. now like thinking about myself at that age, like I really needed that. And that could have in uh, major ways that I won't go into right now, but actually changed my life. Like, um, yeah, that's just a huge thing to have access to people who might get you uh, and to take into consideration things that are important to you and making decisions and drawing out a life and all of that would have been so big. And then the other thing is like, um, like having worked on the Marvelous Grounds project in Toronto and really tapped into 
just the erasure of QT BIPOC mm-hmm. from our histories. Mm-hmm. It's not only that, oh, we didn't write those stories, so we weren't in them. Mm-hmm. Like it's an act of erasing of our yes. Absolutely, yes. So you can be as visible as you want, but mm-hmm. people are still going to write you out. And so how do we create documents and podcasts and mm-hmm. whatever to kind of counteract not only counteract that erasure and be like actually people were here people yeah. have been racialized and queer and trans for a really long time like we yeah. aren't new subjects that you're yeah. not weird because you know what i mean yeah, like there's, yeah absolutely there's like uh, a big need for that and the other thing is to to just kind of call out how how often like our leadership, our brilliance, our wisdom, our like communities are just written out of stuff, like actively erased from history. Yeah, yeah. And what that does to a psyche over time mm-hmm. to not know that we've led, like that a lot of the things that uh, white, queer, and trans people currently enjoy yeah. are from, you know, a lot of the things that that we did at different periods in time. Absolutely. Like after, Absolutely. After I moved to Toronto, there was a dance party in Ottawa that started that was basically like a knockoff modiggity. And uh, it was actually interesting to see, you know, uh, white people just go at it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, anyway, it's not, that's not the point, but I'm just saying that it's, it's unfortunate that when we're young, we don't get to know how powerful we are, you right. know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Mickey, is there anything you want to add? No, I agree with the whole thing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to thank both of you for taking time today to hang out, to share, and like hopefully to have an opportunity to look back at the shared histories that both of you have. Um, thanks for uh, being really uh, vulnerable with me uh, and uh, sharing some of those experiences that you had in the local context and um, what that's been like. Um, if, is there any other sort of uh, things that um, that either of you want to share? Like one thing that, Mickey, I was wondering if you'd feel mm-hmm. comfortable sharing, as you yeah. mentioned, um, two different projects that you've launched off in Montreal. Um, can you share the names of these projects? Well, one of them I care not to. Okay, um, absolutely. Um, there are some, yeah, some things going on there. The other one uh, would be the um, would be the media collective, um, which is a coup d'état collective, and you can find that on uh, Instagram, and you can find us on uh, Facebook as well. Sweet, Haida, yeah. do you have a handle for your for your DJing practices that you want to share on the podcast? I don't have a handle for DJing. I have uh, two handles on Instagram. One of them is Yella Eats Ottawa. <laughs> uh, and the other one is Hawasawa Life. Um, okay. And on there is it's kind of more of a, like both life coaching and academic account um, and writing and that kind of thing. So, uh, but yeah, if anyone wants to check me out there, they can. And I just want to, before we close off, like mm-hmm. say um, to, to you and Kara, like, I'm I'm happy that this project is in your hands, um, and 
thanks Thank for you. including me and uh, it's really cool what you're all doing. And thanks to Finn for the tech support. Thank you. Here, here. <laughs> I second it all. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, we're excited to have you be part of this project. It's an honor. So uh, it's deeply appreciated. Thank you. To Be Continued, a Stonecroft Symposium podcast is produced by Finn Sun, Anna Shaw Hawk, and Kara Tierney. Music provided by bensound.com. Thank you to today's speakers, Mickey Bradshaw and Haida Musa. The podcast is part of Carleton University Art Gallery's Virtual Stonecroft Symposium. The symposium is organized in conjunction with the exhibition, To Be Continued, Troubling the Queer Archive, curated by Anna Shaw-Hawk and Cara Tierney, and presented at the gallery in fall 2020. The exhibition and podcast expand conversations around local queer histories and futures. We are grateful for the support of Carleton University, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Stonecroft Foundation for the Arts. The Stonecroft Foundation promotes education in the visual arts and fosters the public's appreciation of the visual arts. Find out more about the Stonecroft Symposium by visiting quag.ca. That's C-U-A-G dot C-A.